All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of Canucks Conversation. My name is David Gudrelli. That is Harmon Dial, and for those of you on the podcast, I did not just point across the desk because we're doing today's show remotely, virtually. Harmon, which American city are you in right now? I'm in Nashville, as you can see by the horrible uh, hotel room lighting. I swear, this morning as well, I woke up and the fire alarm went off twice. So first thing, I, as soon as I hear my alarm, my actual alarm go off, like 10 seconds later, the, the fire alarm just starts blaring, and I'm thinking, oh boy. What can I pack here within the next like 10 seconds in case there actually is a fire? So I grab my passport, grab my wallet, book it down 12 flights of stairs. And then they're like, oh, no, no, just go back up to your rooms. Everything's fine. And then an hour later, I'm in the shower and fire alarm starts blaring again. And this time I'm like, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to continue showering and I bet it's nothing. So I just stayed in the shower for another 15 minutes. And then afterwards... There was sort of an announcement that, oh, was, this was this was just a fire drill, and I'm like, why are you guys having a fire drill when you just had had one technically an hour ago? So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty funny start to the day, but it was a good day overall. I uh, went to Pred's practice, had a chance to catch up with Luke Shen. He's really excited about how the Canucks have been doing. Uh, he misses some of the boys in the locker room over there, and uh, yeah, just pumped up for tomorrow's game now. We're going to talk a lot about that game, both today and tomorrow. But first, we have to talk about the two games 
on the weekend. And as Grady pointed out in our little studio chat here, he said, the title says two wins. Uh, in the drafts I wrote, I wrote breaking down two games and a bunch of storylines. And for some reason, my mind put wins uh, on the YouTube live show. So that'll be fixed for podcast uh, and the other places. But right now, yes, this is breaking down two wins, but the Canucks did not pick up two wins. Uh, they picked up one win over the weekend. But before we get to that, I need to tell you about our presenting sponsor of today's episode, HSBC 7s. For three full days from February 23rd to 25th, BC Place is going to be the place to be. And that's because for the ninth time, HSBC World Rugby 7s is coming to Vancouver. Enjoy a next level rugby experience with VIP tickets from just $130 a day giving you the best seats in the house, player access, private bar and lounge access, in-seat food and beverage service. It's all there, all there. And that's where you'll want to be BC Place from February 23rd to 25th. HSBC Vancouver 7s, where high caliber rugby and the ultimate party weekend collide. I'm not sure if you had a party weekend down there in Nashville, Harmon, but uh, wasn't great for the Vancouver Canucks uh, on Saturday when they lost in a shootout to the Minnesota Wild. Let's start there. Obviously, you were at that game. Uh, the power play going 0 for 5 is probably, I'd say, the biggest storyline from that game that we're paying attention to. Um, the power play's struggles for the past little bit now haven't been super well documented. I think that's largely because they've still converted on a lot of nights. But this is something I brought up on Rinkwide with Jeff over the weekend. We've been hearing for about two or three weeks now, every time JT Miller is asked about the power play, he's talking about how not unimpressed he is, but how displeased he is with the power play and his work uh, on the power play as of late. Yeah, and if it wasn't for the Canucks converting on the five on three and and converting pretty late on that sequence in the Chicago game, I think it probably would have been a much bigger storyline because yeah, it hasn't looked nearly as potent as it has before and it's been a variety of a variety of sort of areas where they've been scuffling a little bit I think for starters their passing in zone just isn't as crisp and as clean as we're used to seeing it I think that was the the theme of the game in Minnesota as a whole was just felt like they couldn't complete a lot of tape to tape passes and that definitely stemmed on the uh, stemmed on the power play as well uh, even when they get sort of um, pucks sort of cleared out and they have to regroup their power play entries seem like they're off compared to last year. And I know they have the sort of odd set play where they're able to sort of spring a stretch pass. And I think Miller's gotten a couple of breakaways that way, but outside of that feels like they've struggled a little bit gaining the zone. I think it's interesting that you're seeing Kuzmenko on the left side of the half wall, a lot more sort of the same spot where he scored the, power play goal a few games ago to sort of break his streak but as a byproduct it means that or at least feels that JT Miller is getting less touches from that left half wall side where his playmaking I think is the best asset that this Canucks power play has so I believe talking has spoken about wanting to get Kuzmenko's one-timer going a little bit uh, but I, I really think that the more time you can spend with Miller on that left half wall creating plays the better off this power play is going to be. And when they finally did score in the five on three, it was JT Miller finding Pedersen on the seam. Uh, so to me, the path out of this is one, I think just for, for starters, I think you're, you're not too worried in the first place, just in the sense that these are elite players. They're going to figure out how to execute again. Um, they're all elite passers. So that's not really a, a huge problem, but 
the other sort of side of it is I want to see Miller getting as many touches as a playmaker from that left half wall uh, as possible. And so once they start to do that, I, uh, I think they'll find success again. I don't want to spend too much time dwelling on that Minnesota game as, as a whole, just because boy, that was a tough game to watch. It just felt like <laughs> they weren't able to make passes. They were sluggish. They weren't able to get the forecheck established. And I can't believe the Minnesota wild made three on three overtime boring. Like it was one of those games where I was like, man, I can't wait for overtime to end. And I've never thought that about a Canucks overtime game uh, before. So yeah, I mean, shout out to Casey DeSmith for an unbelievable performance. To me, he's the MVP for helping the Canucks um, steal a point in a game where I thought they were pretty handily outplayed. Yeah. um, We're going to talk a lot about Casey DeSmith. Uh, I thought he was good in that game and just, one storyline I'm keeping an eye on because that's kind of the theme of today's episode is that I think Casey DeSmith should get the start on Tuesday in Nashville. Um, just looking at the Canucks schedule, I think that's a game you give him. You go back to Thatcher Demko, give him a chance to shut out the Dallas Stars for the second time this season uh, on Thursday night. But I, I think Casey DeSmith should get that start. Do you agree? Disagree? What do you think of that? Yeah, it's not a bad take, especially because DeSmith is rolling now. It gives you a chance to... Uh, obviously one less game for Demko's workload, which is massive for if you've got playoff ambitions. But on the other hand, I could also see the coaching staff thinking, well, we, we've we got such a long break break for the holidays. Um, once we return from this road trip and finish the, um, the Saturday game against San Jose, where I think there's only one game between um, the 24th and uh, in the new year. So I could also easily see them leaning towards that way and going, why not start Demko both games? I don't know. It's it's a good question because you're at the point now where, and this is the this is the advantage of banking points, uh, even in games where you're not necessarily playing your your best. Where the Canucks have a cushion now, they have the flexibility to where they can go either way, and there's not a pressure on them that they have to lean towards Demko. Now you're you're able to choose based off your read on what's best for the goalie's workload and uh, the team as a whole. Yeah, um, just on the topic of the goaltending, and we'll move on. There's there's one more thing from that Minnesota game that I think you and I are both going to want to talk about. Um, but just looking at save percentages as a whole for the season, like Thatcher Demko's seventh in the league with a 921, which is very high. Uh, Casey Smith is tied for eighth right behind Demko uh, with a 919 save percentage. So, you know, there's a serious case to be made that, no pun intended, that the Canucks have one of the best, if not the best, um, goaltending tandems in the league. Like, I, I don't know if we'll see a, a Vesna at the end of the year for Demko or a Jennings trophy for both of them. I think DeSmith would have to start a few more games than he currently is on pace to. But, um, yeah, I just, I've been very impressed with the Canucks goaltending duo and like when you go back and look at that trade I think at the time we kind of looked at it as more of a well they had to get rid of Tanner Pearson so it was going to cost them a pick to do it but also you know at least they get to Smith who's going to probably be a better backup than Martin was going to be and Seelovs probably wasn't ready for that job so they fortify the backup position but now at this stage in the season and the further we go along where Smith keeps up these numbers now you're looking at it and saying, holy cow, like this, this is a massive trade for this team to have won. Absolutely. And it's funny because I've got a couple friends who are Penguins fans 
And they're they're like, where was this version of Casey DeSmith the last couple of years? Especially because when Jari's gone down with uh, injury, DeSmith has been inconsistent where some games he was able to steal it for them. And then, you know, like many other backups around the NHL, there were other nights where he was letting in some uh, some soft goals. But, I mean, so far this season, I think you could argue that he's already had three games that he suited up for where he's been the best player uh, on the ice. I think back to the second game of the year in Edmonton where the Canucks were getting sort of shellacked in terms of zone time. And the the players were gritty in front of him in the sense that they at least weren't allowing too many backdoor plays and they were blocking a lot of shots and um, really fighting hard. But DeSmith was absolutely bailing them out. Um, another strong performance against uh, Minnesota. He had he had um, another shutout against Minnesota not too long ago as well. So to have him rolling is um, is an absolute treat. And it's interesting that I do think that Demko is probably the Vezina frontrunner right now. You look at goal saved above expected according to evolving hockey's model. He's number one among all NHL starters. So sure, he might not be the top of the leaderboard in save percentage, but once you account for the quality of the shots and chances he's facing, he's a top net minder in the NHL right now, saving nearly 20 goals above expected. And it's funny when I did run into Shen uh, and he was talking about the great start Vancouver's off to the first player that he name checked was Thatcher Demko. So I think players around the NHL recognize that, yes, for as much as you look at the individual point totals and see how many players on this roster are on pace for 100-plus points, when you look at Miller, uh, Pedersen, Hughes, Brock Besser being right at the top of the NHL goal-scoring lead, that players on other teams are still keying in on Demko as, man, that's the X factor that's really hard to beat. Uh, Another X factor for the Canucks right now is their third line. Uh, Teddy Bluger scores the lone goal for the Canucks on Saturday. Uh, the line also has another good showing on Sunday against Chicago. What do you make of that right now? What we're seeing from that line and what we saw from them over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like anytime the Canucks have a sleepy start, this line is able to jolt the Canucks awake. Like they're a can of Red Bull. Honestly, yeah. Minnesota was a really rough start and they were and the Canucks were really struggling to generate offense weren't creating much of anything especially at five on five and then all of a sudden it's that line that gets you going uh, against Chicago when you had the really rough first period where the Canucks didn't generate a single even strength shot the shots at one point were 10 nothing for Chicago in the opening period then Felino scores to make it 2-1 at the start of the second period. And you're thinking, man, I know it's the second leg of a back-to-back and technically it's a schedule loss, but are they really going to lose to the Chicago Blackhawks who have been awful lately? And no, it's that line dragging the Canucks back into it. And what stands out about why they've been successful right now is they just hound the puck so successfully out the forecheck and they, cr- and they create quick strike offense off of it where you look at, the uh, Joshua goal uh, in in that Chicago game, it started with Garland winning a 50-50 puck battle right at the offensive blue line. It feels like any puck that's within the radius of Garland's stick length, he's just stealing it, and it's his puck. You're not winning the battle against him, which is pretty remarkable given that uh, he's, uh, he's a small guy. And so he won that battle, went for the smart shot pass, um, you even look at the Florida game, for instance, it's Garland winning the board battle along the wall to set up Kuzmenko. 
Um, the other goal that uh, Joshua scored against Florida, it's Bluger on the forecheck in that instance, hounding Ekman Larson and essentially willing the puck into the slot, which then created all that type of chaos. And the and the power of creating havoc on the forecheck is you've got to remember that when the other team is going back for a puck in the defensive zone and their defenseman gets possession, the wingers, the centermen, the the D partner are all positioned to try and support the puck in anticipation of, okay, we have possession. We're going to skate up the ice. So when there's a breakdown, they don't have enough time to recover and collapse towards the slot, collapse towards the middle, protect the front of the net. And that's why you have so many of those plays where then Joshua is just wide open, able to whack away around the crease. Uh, and they're able to like the, even the Bluger goal, um, against, I think the, the other time they played Minnesota about a week and a half ago, they were, that line was able to force turnover. And then Garland was able to send that gorgeous pass to Bluger. And it was basically a partial breakaway just because, uh, the Minnesota are out of position. So they're doing an excellent job hounding the puck in the forecheck and an underrated detail that I think is contributing to that line's great defensive results as well is they're just as tenacious, just as fast, just as disruptive on the back check. There was, there were a couple of plays where you saw Garland stripping Chicago's attempts to carry the puck through the neutral zone. I mean, one play in particular in the second period, Connor Bedard was flying in with a full head of steam. Looked like he was maybe about to split through the middle of the Canucks defensive structure, but it's Garland racing back and stripping him of the puck in that situation and it's just little details like that that are contributing to why they're dominating in terms of zone time and uh, why they barely spend any time in their defensive end. So many storylines to focus on um, from this weekend. One I want to touch on is Pia Suter because it kind of relates to the third line a little bit because I feel like the conversation you and I have been having, Harmon, is, well, how long is it going to be until Suter's back centering that third line in place of Teddy Bluger and obviously Bluger would go down to the fourth line but recently we've seen Pia Suter getting a shot in the top six as a winger on Elias Pettersson's line um I don't know how much I've liked that look but his forecheck leads to a goal in the Chicago game a pretty decisive goal uh the one that Ilya Mikheyev tipped in um on the topic of the Chicago game, and I don't want to jump storylines too much here, but one thing I also f- was kind of focusing on was that, one, there was a power play goal. That's a positive for this team. Obviously, when they went 0-5 for 5 on Saturday, if they do it again against Chicago, it's all of a sudden a problem that we're talking about on Monday. It was good for them to get a power play goal. Yes, I know it was the 5-on-3. The guy had technically just gotten out of the box, but anyways, it was basically a 5-on-3, so it was good they did that. But the other thing that I really paid attention to was that every top or, or three of the Canucks four lines scored a goal at five on five in that second period. And I think that was just so important given how this team's played at five on five all season long, but really how they played on Saturday and how they played in the first period of Sunday's game. Look, you, you mentioned it zero shots at five on five in the first period. So for each line to contribute on the score sheet in the second period at five on five, I thought that was a real positive for this team, but what I wanted to say about Suter was on that goal um, that Mikheyev ended up tipping in off the Tyler Myers point shot. And Tyler Myers quietly putting up uh, putting up the points this season. I'm sure we'll talk about that later in anyone else or some other segment. But 
Um, Suter's work on the forecheck and getting the puck back uh, behind the Chicago net was instrumental to not only that goal, but in the uh, events right before that goal, Suter dug out the puck and fed Elias Pedersen for a prime one-timer right in the slot. And, and Pedersen didn't score, but... Suter got the puck back right after that. And I think if you go watch highlights of the Mikheyev goal, I know the one on Canucks Army that was clipped is still there. Um, you can see that Suter not only set up the play that resulted in the goal, but like right before that, he set up Pedersen right in the middle for a prime scoring opportunity by being the first on the puck and going in hard on the forecheck and getting the puck to Elias Pedersen. And look, we've talked a lot about Pedersen's five on five play. We've talked a lot about the play of his wingers at five on five. If Suter can keep doing that, I think he's going to have a home on that line for a while. I was a little surprised post game. Uh, Tockett didn't, he just said fine. He said Suter played fine. He was like, yeah, I thought he was okay, which in Tockett's language usually means, yeah, I didn't really like what I saw. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting to see him kind of in that role. What did you think of P.S. Suter uh, in that game? Yeah, I'm still figuring figuring out how I feel about that just because through the first co- couple of periods, aside from that uh, great sequence you mentioned that led to Mikheyev's goal, I sort of felt like he was pretty quiet, wasn't necessarily able to make a lot of plays. And just that it was, he just overall looked pretty vanilla. He didn't necessarily have the look of a top six fit. And yet when you go back and you check the underlying numbers, that line out attempted Chicago 15 to three in terms of the shots uh, four nothing edge and high danger chances. Uh, Mikheyev obviously scored. So it was at least in terms of shot control, possession control, chance control, Vancouver's most effective trio. And, and of course, Patterson, I think had massive part to do with that. So did Mikheyev. And yeah, that's why it's sort of tricky for me to figure out whether I like this as a medium-term fit or not is because, I mean, look, they had the success on paper, so you have to continue rolling with it. And you love that one sequence. But outside of that, I thought, like Tockett said, that Suter was just okay, which isn't a problem. I think there are two other sort of fascinating notes in relation to Suter bumping up the lineup. The first is that Bluger's continued success on the third line is an underrated key for why Tockett now had the flexibility to uh, shuttle Suter up the lineup, right? Because if Bluger had been struggling, Suter would have immediately been on that Garland-Joshua line, and all of a sudden Tockett has to find somebody else. So that's another shout-out to Bluger, who is the third most important member of that third line. But it still feels like he flies under the radar a little bit in terms of his impact. And then second, I do think it's interesting that it was, wasn't Andre Kuzmenko that hey, when Lafferty inevitably sort of fell out of that top-line spot, I, I had been wondering, especially with Kuzmenko scoring, scoring in some of these recent games, that if he'd get the you know quick opportunity to bump up the lineup, and, um, and that didn't happen. It didn't happen against Chicago, nor did it happen in the Minnesota game, where when Tockett wanted to shake up the Miller line and took Hoaglander off of it, it was against Suter that um, got the opportunity to bump uh, up the lineup. Again, not saying that that's right or wrong necessarily, but I just just think that that's interesting in terms of Kuzmenko standing um, with the coaching staff and just a sign that, hey, he still needs to show more if he wants to elevate himself back towards the top of the lineup. Okay, we're going to keep getting to our takeaways, our storylines that we're keeping an eye on, but I should mention that this segment is brought to you by our friends at 
Four Winds Brewing, family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer. A beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. And you know what goes really good with a Four Winds, uh, Four Winds Light? French no. toast sticks? and chicken strips chicken strips and french toast sticks from wendy's because it's monday so i also have to tell you that uh, i've made my pick on the wendy's daily face-off survivor game and if you haven't already folks be sure to go do that because wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning but here's the big secret to lineups it's all serendipitous like wendy's new limited edition chicken strips and french toast sticks together folks sometimes the best teammates are the ones you'd least suspect sign up to play daily face-off survivor pool to win weekly prizes like the new chicken strips and french toast sticks from wendy's and the wendy's app my pick today we'll talk about it more later on in the show but my pick today detroit uh over three and a half goals against those anaheim ducks those wagon anaheim ducks okay Harmon. another thing that i wanted to bring up was I, I i don't think people too many people had an issue with it but nikita zadorov uh, sticking up for Elias Pettersson late in Sunday's game when it was kind of in garbage time. It's in that Darnell, Darnell nurse time when you're always watching for him to do something stupid. Um, Reece Darnell Johnson, nurse time, I love that. <laughs> I call it Darnell nurse time. When you're down, you're frustrated, and you're about to do something stupid, it's Darnell nurse time. That's Darnell nurse's time to shine. Um, Reese Johnson, I don't even want to use the term takes a run at Elias Patterson because Elias Patterson, he called it a clean hit. It was, it was, it was a clean hit, uh, but it was still a hit on a star player and it sent him hard into the boards, sent him down to the ice. So uh, Zadorov gets the instigator penalty, skates over to Reese Johnson and drops the gloves with Reese Johnson. Now, when the Zadorov trade happened, Harmon, I'm sure you remember this. We were asking people what they thought of Nikita Zadorov in Calgary and something that Ryan Pike our managing editor over at Flames Nation told me was not a good fighter but he will drop the gloves and I think that was a really good example of that because he's willing to drop the gloves and hey I don't care if you're not a good fighter you're still a ginormous human being and you've still got bare paws for hands and those are coming swinging at a dude's face I don't care if you're the best fighter or not Reese Johnson still went down to the ice how could he not he had Nikita Zadorov coming at him and I just, yeah, I, I, I really liked that from Nikita Zadorov, and I saw, uh, you know, a few different people talking about it today. About, oh, do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? I love it. I love it. I think you need to have a guy like that on your blue line, and I think what matters more than if you or I even like it or anybody for that matter is this quote, and we'll bring it up here, Grady. This quote from Elias Pettersson post game about that play. Uh, this coming to us courtesy of our pal Ian McIntyre. Uh, this is what PD had to say about the hit. He said, I appreciate it so much. I don't mind a good hit, but it just shows he's going to back me up no matter what. It shows that you're playing for each other. If that isn't a cry for help, that this dude has not had this on his team ever since he's been a Canuck, I don't know what is. I don't know how anybody looks at that quote and thinks otherwise or how anybody looks at that play and that quote together and has any take other than it is awesome that Nikita, Nikita Zadorov did that for Elias Peterson, that he did that in that game. Look, I understand the timing aspect and people are saying, rightfully so, if the Blackhawks come back and score on the power play and they come back and you know win that game or tie it up, we're having a very different conversation. And sure, maybe we are, but we're also having a conversation about defensive breakdowns and all that sort of stuff. So all in all, 
I really liked that from Nikita Zadorov, and I thought it was a really nice kind of message for him to send, not only to you know the rest of the league and the Blackhawks and whoever, but mostly to his teammates because you know as as Elias Pettersson said in that quote, it shows that they're playing for each other, which is something this team, let's be honest, just hasn't done for years. Yeah, I loved it, and my initial thought as soon as it happened, even when he got the instigator, even after Chicago made it four three. I thought, I don't care if the Blackhawks come back and win this game and we're talking about a Canucks, even a regulation loss. I will never pin that on Nikita Zadorov because to me, this is a long 82-game season and that type of camaraderie, sticking up for each other, that is more important than uh, a Sunday afternoon game against the Chicago mm-hmm. Blackhawks when you already know that you're in a position where, where you're going to make the playoffs. And honestly, if you're a team that can't kill off a penalty that was to, was to sort of stand up for a teammate when you have a two goal uh, advantage against Chicago, then you don't deserve to win that game anyway, in my opinion. So I loved it. And it is funny because like in Toronto, for example, that, that sort of thing happens. And, and even though, even though they have guys like Ryan Reeves and whoever, it becomes soap opera and Leafs nation where for, for a whole week, they're talking about all oh, the lack of response, and certainly we've had those um, instances in the past with uh, with the Canucks as well. So it's just great to sort of, not that there would have been storylines coming out of it if nobody had, because it's not like Pedersen got hurt or that, or that it was overly sure. dirty. But, and and I don't even think as a matter of fact that it's, oh, if you stick up for your teammates after a fight, that your opposition is less likely to take runs at your star players. Because I just think if, if somebody wants to be physical, they're they're going to be physical. They're not going to be worried that, oh, no, they got Nikita Zadorov on the blue line. He's going to come after me. Um, but it's just more for what it does internally for your own group and showing that you've got each other's backs. And for Zadorov, who's still relatively new to the team, it's an amazing way to endear himself, feel comfortable. Um, and so, yeah, I loved it. Oh yeah, for sure. And I honestly, I couldn't have said it uh, better myself. I I find myself now wondering what it's going to take to extend Nikita Zadorov. And I think that's something I want to post to the chat. We don't have to answer it right now, Harmon, because I know it's kind of a bigger picture question. Uh, but as we move toward the anyone else segment, I'm curious what people in the chat think they'd be comfortable uh, extending Nikita Zadorov uh, on a contract. He's going to be 29 when he gets that new contract. He's 28 right now. Uh, what would you be comfortable uh, when it comes to a Nikita Zadorov extension. Harmon, I'll ask you that later in our Anyone Else. But before we get to anyone else, I need to quickly plug this hat that I'm wearing for those on the YouTube live show can see it. It's the new Stanchi's Reader merch available at nationgear.ca. I've got mine right now. And oh my goodness, this hat looks awesome. And I'm not like, I, I don't wear dad hats very often, but man, I really, really like this. This hat is just, it looks, I don't know if you can see it there. Yeah, you can. Got the little Canucks Army fist blacked out. It just, it looks awesome with the little green. Anyways, I really like it. You can't really see it if I don't lean forward. So I had to make a point of mentioning it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. With that, let's move on to Anyone Else, presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat, and it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they use the code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25 for 25% off, up to $10 value, and zero delivery fees on your first order with the DoorDash app. Offer valid in Canada, subject to change, Terms do apply. We have a lot of interaction. Thank you to everybody who's tuning in on this Monday afternoon. A lot of interaction in the YouTube live chat. People giving their instant reaction to my question there. Eternal Render, who also um, sent us a little congratulations on hitting 3,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel. So thanks again to everybody for that. Uh, Eternal Reader said 5.75 million at five years. I think that's a little high for Nikita Zadorov. I would look more at Carson Soucy's uh, contract kind of as a comparable if I were the Canucks going into contract negotiations with AGM Dan Milstein. Um, just because they, they kind of profile similarly, right? Like two big left shot guys who have played bottom six minutes mostly when, when they've had success in bottom six minutes and maybe struggled a little bit when they've moved up to top four minutes. But in free agency, the Canucks went out and got Susie and basically said like, yeah, he's played bottom pair minutes, but we think he can play top four minutes at the NHL level and he can be successful at it. So I would look at that as a comparable. Like I think if I was going into extend Nikita Zadorov, I think, I think the, the number that I immediately come to uh, and Jeremy Lee throughout three years for four to five mil, I think the highest I would go with Zadorov is, is three years, maybe four, maybe 4.5 is probably the highest I would go uh, on a Zadorov extension. But what do you think here, Harmon? Yeah, to me, it's too early to sort of project what he might make or if it even makes sense to extend him because you like first of all it's it's only been less than i think it's been less still been less than maybe around 10 games or so that we've mm -hmm. um had zadorov um we have we we also want to see how it looks with susi in the lineup and just your overall again the point i made earlier what's your confidence level in at least one of them being able to hold down a top four role during your team's cup contention window because that's essentially the bet if you're going to commit commit a combined you know, six plus six to seven million 
two two left shot defensemen that uh, are basically playing or are on a talent level pretty similar. So you you have to be sort of aware of that, especially because if you head into the offseason and big picture, you're thinking about well, long term, our biggest need is we'd love to add another true high end defenseman, like a number two three type, somebody who's a clear um, tier above the sort of Zadorov, um, Susi. Cole type of tier, um, you might want to have the flexibility of, hey, if a left shot defender of that profile becomes available, well, you don't want to all of a sudden be limited in terms of going after that guy because you already extended Zadorov and you also already have Susie, so you have too many left shot defensemen, right? And all of a sudden now you now that player has to be a right shot defenseman in terms of another high end blue liner. Um, because as we know, right shot defenders are even rarer and tougher to find and acquire than left shot types. And so you've got to weigh those possibilities as well. And you've kind of got to project the market and look at, this is what the Canucks should do as well, is they should not only look at the pending UFAs, but also heroic type situations um, for the next sort of 18 months where you're looking at teams that might end up in a similar spot where they have a good player, but maybe it's not a long-term fit because they are due for another big extension that the team either might not afford or might not want to pay and look at, okay, how many of those are left shot defensemen? How, how many of those are right shot defensemen? How many of those could be potential targets down the road and figure out accordingly, like, okay, is there a lefty target we might like better because this blue line has been functioning well recently, but I don't think it's at the level of a contender. And so for that reason, I, I, I just, even, even today, if you were to throw me this, throw me the Susie contract, like I would be thinking hard and long about, okay, like, is this actually a fit? Even though I've liked what he's brought to the table right now. You're basically locking in two guys right behind Quinn Hughes, right on your left side. And that's the other thing. Can one of these guys play the right side? Because when Susie comes back, you're going to have four lefties in the lineup. So it's going to be very interesting uh, to see and a lot of really good interaction uh, during this anyone else segment in the YouTube live chat. Um, I, I, I want to get to them all, but this one from Jesse C. Personally, I don't see Zadorov as significantly better than Susie. So maybe a little more than him because he is slightly uh, or because of the slightly extra physicality, but both are a number five defenseman uh, to me. This is very interesting. Very interesting. People have mixed takes uh, on Nikita Zadora, but one thing that people can kind of agree on is that the defense has looked better uh, since he's arrived, and Tyler Myers has looked better uh, since Nikita Zadora has arrived. Okay, let's get to another anyone else here. This one from Jesse C as well. I'll pose it to you, Harmon. Is that third line's recent hot streak positive regression or progression, some might call it? I feel like I heard someone mention their shooting percentage was super low up until recently. Yeah, it has been to a certain extent because they, I mean, what, what was the joke when the Canucks are sort of in a 500 phase and their PDO was going down and people were saying Canucks regression is just watching, I think it was uh, Chester Ming who said, Can, um, Canucks PDO regression is basically just watching Bluger, Joshua, and Garland generate a million scoring chances per game and never scoring, right? And they're finally getting on the board now. I think that line has scored in three straight games. So yeah, that's part of it. I don't think process-wise, there's been a huge change um, in, in, in how they're playing because they've been pretty consistent 
in controlling play for a while now. So yeah, I think some of it is positive regression and, and at least on a personal level, Garland is still due for a lot of that because I was looking at some of the NHL edge data and the number of looks that he's created in high danger, high danger locations, even in mid danger locations that um, should be turning into goals, but haven't, he's definitely due for some better luck, better luck there. And I know Garland's not, he's a below average finisher. I'd say among top nine NHL forwards, we know that, but even with that context in mind, he has still been snake bitten below his true, true talent finishing wise. And so, yeah, these are just the, uh, the dividends sort of paying off. This is another one from Marcus Toe on the subject of that third line. He said, how much of it is that everyone else on his line is finally learning to play off of what Garland does? Well, I think part of it is all part of it. It must be that sort of learning Garland's tendencies, but I also think Garland himself has simplified his game. I feel like last season, there were too many situations where he got a little too fancy with the spins and his turns uh, with the types of plays that he was looking for, uh, he was spamming low percentage shots from really weird angles, even more often than he is right now. And his game was just kind of perimeter oriented and he wasn't playing at the same level he is now in terms of winning those battles and hounding pucks and even the precision of his passing. Whereas now it feels like he's really playing a, a lot more of a direct style where yeah, he's looking to thread the needle on, you know, occasional plays off the rush. But really for him, it's just win a battle and look for whoever's open. And for Joshua, it's really it's been really simple. It's just go to the net, try and get your stick available for tips and redirections or rebounds, whatever whatever it is. Uh, be around the net for chaos. And, and that's what that line is doing really well. So yeah, part of it is that Joshua and Bluger are becoming accustomed to Garland's play style. But I also think that Garland himself has become more predictable to play with compared to last season. Like if we had the version of Garland that we saw last year, I think it would have taken even longer for Joshua and and Bluger to, to pick up on that, to pick up on, okay, how, how does Garland like to play? Where do we need to be in positions to support the puck? Uh, And that's where quietly Bluger's made a really good impact. You see his goal off the rush as well, going to the net he's always in the right position, always in and around the puck to be a passing option. And that's a really simple thing. Um, It's never going to land on the highlight reels, but it means that as a line, they're really close, closely connected. Whereas sometimes you'll watch certain lines around the NHL, especially I I can think of many situations with Canucks bottom six lines when you'd have, let's say the Brandon Sutter line or the Jay Beagle line where the defense would be trying to move the puck and the Canucks would have like three forwards all across the offensive blue line so far disconnected from the defenseman. And it's like, no wonder they had trouble transitioning the puck up the ice, making passes, controlling play together. Uh, That's another area is they're all really closely bunched together. And and we saw that with uh, Bluger's goal uh, on, uh, on, on Saturday against um, Minnesota. I think it was Bluger, right? Uh, It wasn't Joshua, right? Yeah, it was, okay, yeah, cool. it was Bluger. Uh, okay, this one from Jesse C again. And we'll, we'll close it out at some point here. A lot of Garland, a lot of Nikita Zadorov questions in the chat. This one from Jesse. Uh, Garland's contract is less onerous given he's able to drive a third line with two guys under $2 million each. Can you continue to go cheap at 3C 
while you have Garland there? It's a really good question. And yeah, I mean, the level that he's playing at now, he may not be fully worth $5 million, but he's down close to it because, let's be honest, it is Garland that is the main engine of that line. If you took him away... Uh, took him away from that trio, I really think there would be a precipitous drop-off because Joshua's value is his physicality, his ability along the boards. It's what he does in front of the net in terms of collecting loose change, rebounds, deflections. But you need somebody to drive play for for Joshua's toolkit to be valuable. And that's exactly what Garland has, has done. And of course, with Bluger, it was Suter before him, and Suter, Joshua Garland was really effective as well. So Garland's, I think, the the main constant there. And yeah, I do think it opens up possibilities because at some point down the line, you're also going to end up in a situation where hopefully Aturatu on an entry-level contract, whether, you know, it may not necessarily be next year, but even if it's the season after that, if he develops well and profiles as a responsible, smart, two-way centerman, well, if you've got garland and you you sort of decide to you know keep him then garland's speed and his tenacity could be like i could see that fitting well with the type of um way ratu plays a game as well because ratu is a board battler he's a really smart player in terms of playmaking not the fastest player necessarily but that hasn't mattered because neither are Suter or bluger so yeah i do think it's i do think that's interesting but the bigger question for me is whether Canucks management sees it that way because ever since this management group has taken over, I really don't think they're the biggest Connor Garland fans. I don't think they mm. like that contract. And I do know that they have for a while been looking to move that contract. So to me, that's the bigger question is does management, how does management view that contract? Because I would would tend to think that even for as well as Garland is playing right now, that they probably still view that as an inefficient contract. Yeah. I mean, at the start of the year, you hear Jim Rutherford say, yeah, we still have one or two contracts we'd like to move off of. Okay. Well, Tyler Myers is the obvious one. And then you hear all the stuff about Connor Garland's agent trying to find a new home and you do the math folks. Uh, you have to think that those are the two contracts uh, that Rutherford is talking about, but he did say one or two. So maybe there's some disagreement in the front office about if they really should be trying to get off of that uh, contract. We'll do one more. Anyone else before we do Betway and get out of here, a bit of a shorter episode today, but I did want to give a special shout out to Jesse C who's been providing us with a lot of really good thought provoking questions in the anyone else segment. <clears throat> and people in the chat were giving him props for that. And Jesse said, LOL, I made notes over the weekend. So Jesse was prepping questions. Jesse was doing more prep for this show than we were. Uh, so Jesse, thanks so much for your uh, continued contribution. Uh, thank you to everybody who came in during the Anyone Else segment. Uh, well, we should have a fun one tomorrow. The Jesse tomorrow C segment. A lot. The Jesse C segment brought to you <laughs> by DoorDash. Uh, we'll get to more tomorrow as it pertains to the Nashville game. But for now, let's get to Betway as we get set to wrap up this Monday edition of Canucks Conversation. Here we go, folks. I think this is an absolute heater. Bring it up, Grady. Uh, you live or you die by the, uh, you know, my Wendy's DFO pick, and that's what I'm doing here because I'm picking the Detroit Red Wings to win the game and for there to be over five and a half goals in the game. At plus 115 odds, a $10 bet returns you $21.50 over at Betway, Betway, Betway. Must be 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. So my reason for this, 
if they put up six in this game, if, if there's a total of six goals in this game, six or more, right? Detroit's probably going to score at least four because I think Detroit's going to win. So I'm going to hit my Wendy's daily face-off survivor bet. I'm going to hit the Betway bet, and we'll be back tomorrow to break it all down. I probably just jinxed myself, but I'm going to go with it. And Dylan Larkin was activated off IR today, so he might end up playing. That would be a big boost for you. But I can't believe you're betting against your wagon ducks. I know. What a fake fan. (laughs) Fake fan. Yeah, yeah, you know me, fake fan with the Anaheim Ducks. I uh, I don't know, man. The, the wagon's falling off a little bit. The wagon's hit the brakes a little bit. But we'll be back. We'll be back. Me and my Ducks, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back. Harmon, uh, any any final thoughts before we uh, close it out here? Um, no, I'm I'm good. I'm just I've been having a laugh this uh, this week. It's been a while since I've been to the states since last season, and I mean, it's just you see you see little things like on on my um way to through the airport from minnesota to nashville it, there, there's like a huge sign that says do not bring your firearm past this checkpoint <laughs> or, or things like in nashville in all the nashville restaurants here all of them have like an engraving that says no guns allowed and i'm just like do, do people really need a reminder that are people just like casually bringing their guns into a restaurant in uh, in nashville that um they need signs yes. all over absolutely yes <laughs> so as a canadian uh that's always pretty pretty um wild to see is all 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 the signs having to remind people that hey your guns aren't allowed here oh man that means you gotta start wearing sleeves when you go into the restaurants (laughs) what do you mean i think that's taking you a second to get the joke the gun show uh that's terrible man that's a good joke. That was a good joke. That was a good joke. Everybody in the chat's laughing. I see one person laughing. I'm just kidding. No one's reacted in the chat yet, but they will. They will, and they'll all think it was a good joke. Uh, but for now, we will close it out there. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 